Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're starting a new series, and it's called John, or it's called 316. Uh, but we're going to be talking about John 316, and that, it's, a, it's a verse that most people know, and even I think a lot of Christians, people who aren't Christians, know that verse, right? Um, so why is it so popular? Well, they, I don't know who they is, but they say that in the 70s, John 3.16 started becoming the most popular verse in the Bible because of this, this guy right here. Um, he was known as Rainbow Man. And he was a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. Um, he's actually in prison right now. <laughs> so not, not exactly somebody whose footsteps you want to follow. But in the 70s and 80s, he became famous uh, because nobody knows where he got his money. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that he got arrested. I don't know. Um, we don't know where he got his money from. But um, he would, he, he, his whole point was to get on ca- John, the verse, John 3.16 on camera. So what he would do is he would buy tickets to like really popular sporting events and make sure that he was in a prominent place where the camera shot would always be. And he would either wear a shirt that says John 3.16 and have his rainbow wig on, or he'd have a sign that says John 3.16 and he'd wave it. So he was, I think they found him in two Super Bowl games in the 80s. He was like right behind the field goal you know, post, so like every time a field goal is kicked, you see him in his crazy hair, John 3.16. He was in several NCAA basketball tournaments. Um, he got in big trouble one time because he ran across the Wimbledon tennis court, like flashing John 3.16. You know, most people just flash, this guy's flashing John 3.16. Um, so, so there's Rainbow Man, and as, as weird as he was and as probably inappropriate as he was, um, he got, I'm not suggesting you do this at sporting events, uh, but um, he, he, he made it popular. Um, it's worked its way into a lot of popular music. Um, where are my country music fans at? We got any country music fans here? Keith Urban, John, um, John, uh, John Cougar, John Deere, John 316. Y'all ever heard that song? No? No? You're not country music fans. Okay. But, yeah, but, he, but he said that was the, the building block of American life was John Cougar, John Deere, John 316. Uh, how many of you have been to this restaurant? You've been to In-N-Out Burger. Anybody here been to In-N-Out Burger? It's the most glorious experience. It's, like, um, it's kind of like Steak and Shake, only it's actually good. And, and uh, I don't know if you've, those of you that had been have noticed, but on the bottom, like, little lip, I took a picture of it when, last time I was there. On, on the cup, it says, on the, it has just on the bottom, John 3.16. Um, and then maybe the, the person who they say in the, like, late 2000s, like, late 2000s decade, you know, early 2010s or whatever we call that decade that we just lost, um, Tim Tebow made it famous. Uh, he played national championship game 2008 and 2009. Any Ohio State fans in here tonight? Um, I was so excited to watch him just decimate Ohio State in the 2008 um, college football national championship. And then again, he played the, you know, Matt's going to stop running my slides back there now. In the 2009 national championship, he, he, he played Oklahoma and they won. And he was known for on his eye black, which I've never understood what the purpose of that eye black is for. Um, but on, on his eye black, he'd write Bible verses. So he, he was interviewed after the game. And he said, I decided to put John 3.16 on my eye black because it was like, I'd probably never have more media attention on me than this game. And he said, this is his quote, John 3.16 is the essence of Christianity. So like Christianity in a nutshell. 
He wore it again two years later when he was the uh, quarterback, backup quarterback who ended up having to play for the Denver Broncos um, in the wild card game. Sydney's giving me that look like, don't say it, but they beat the Steelers. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting because he wore it under his, um, you know, on his eye black. He threw for 316 yards for 31.6 yards per catch. And the time of possession for the Broncos was 31.6 minutes. And he had John 316 on his eye black. But here's what was cool. During the national championship game, during the period of that game, 64 million people Googled John 316. And during the uh, playoff game, the wild card game, when he, you know, he, he led the Broncos to a victory, um, 91 million people Googled that verse, John 316. So it's you know, a very you know, famous verse. And I'd venture to say, uh, no matter what, what your background is, you're, you've probably heard that verse or familiar with that verse, and probably a lot of us have memorized that verse ever since we were a little kid. I memorized it you know, back when Lewis Memorial used the King James Version, so I'd have memorized that old like Elizabethan English. But um, why John 3.16? Why should we spend, we're going to spend four weeks on it. Why should we spend John, er, four, four weeks on John 3.16? I'm going to read the verse for you, and then we're going to kind of Break it down, and then we're going to get into our first lesson, which is shorter because I'm introducing the lesson or the series. But John chapter 3, verse 16 says, uh, I'm in John chapter 1, that wouldn't work. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I kind of broken it down, and Matt, that's the next four slides there. <laughs> Poor Matt. He, he's, I think I had like 30 slides or something uh, tonight, so it was like this very long, elaborate thing. So the first, we're, we're, here's how we're going to divide it up over the next four weeks. It's going to be for God. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's just those two words, for God. Then next week, we're going to talk about how God so loved the world. Then week three, after spring break, by the way, week three, we're going to talk about how God gave his only son, how there's only one way to God. And then the final one, when we have our Passion um, Night or Passion Week service where we get to kind of gather around the cross and the lessons integrated with the music and we really enjoy that time, we're gonna talk about this, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But tonight, we're gonna talk about those two words, for God. Why, um, <laughs> why those two words? Um, well, because it depends on what you think about God. I think everybody has a mental picture of God and who he is and what he's like and what he does and what he looks like. And I don't know, but you may, maybe, you know, this is supposed to be interactive. Not many people like to, to, to speak up, but I don't, it, maybe you could share. You don't have to, but like, what was your mental image of God as a kid? Mine was he kind of looked like Zeus or almost like the, uh, what's the dad on... Yeah, King Trident and, and Little Mermaid, you know, kind of got that long flowing beard, kind of muscular slash dad bod with a long flowing white robe. But he, he was kind of like sitting like this, ready to whip somebody, ready to zap somebody. That's, yeah, I don't know what, how that image got in my head as a, as a kid, but that was what I thought of when I thought of God. If you have friends who are Muslim, their definition of God is going to be a good bit different. Um, probably than, than, than your definition of God. So how do we know what God we're talking about and how do we know who God is and how do we know what God's like? And how does this have to do with God's salvation, right? Because it's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
how do, we, how do we come to grips with that? Tonight, when we look at God, I think we're going to come to this conclusion, and it's that God is patient. Um, patient is kind of like a curse word in our, in our culture and in our society because we don't like to wait for things, and we go by the white girl Instagram mantra, remove toxic people from your life. Um, so so, so we, we are, this is something that is very countercultural, but it's, the, it's, it's really the essence of God. First Corinthians chapter 13 says that love is two things. Anybody know what it says love is? Love is patient and kind. And it talks about what love isn't. But love is patient and kind. So if God is love, God is incredibly patient. And when we look at God and how he loves the world, the only thing we can, I think, say at the end is that God is patient. So we have 10 minutes to go through the whole story of history from the creation of the world to the coronavirus is the scope of our discussion over the next 10 minutes. So um, maybe we should buckle up. But you know, if, if we're talking about for God, what God are we talking about? Well, you can turn there if you want. You don't have to. But um, the first place or the first thing we know about God is in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, what? If you've read that verse before, it says, in the beginning, God. Four, those four words have a lot of implications, right? Because if God was there before there was a beginning, if God is the one who made a beginning, what does that mean about God? That he exists outside of, I think that's the next slide, Matt, is that he exists, out, yeah, the, he exists outside of space and time. So in the beginning, in the beginning, God. Man, that's a big deal, isn't it? In the beginning, God. So what I've tried to put together here is a timeline of human history. And this is the only spot on this timeline that doesn't have a date on it because you can't put a date on God's existence because he always existed. It's one of those things, maybe I'm just weird, but I'll lay up I'll lay at night just thinking about how that's even possible, that there can be an uncaused cause. Like, how, how, yeah, well, it has to be, right? It has to be. Uh, but in the beginning, God, we learn about Genesis 1. Genesis 2, Genesis 1 talks about how God created everything. Genesis 2 talks about how God created us. First part of Genesis 3 talks about what? How we screwed it up. How Adam and Eve screwed it up. And sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, there were two really profound consequences. Um, the first uh, profound consequence is that, and this is not very exciting, but it's true, that the wrath of God was stored up against people because people turned their back on him, um, that, that there was sin and that sin needed to be punished. People turned their back against God, Adam and Eve. And before we were too hard on Adam and Eve, you know, when was the last time you had a day where you didn't sin, right? It's easy to beat up on Adam and Eve. So, so it didn't take us long to mess it up. The first consequence was that God, you, you, we turned from God, so therefore we became, we made ourselves God's enemies. The second profound consequence is that death entered the world. It says in Romans chapter five that through one man's sin, that's Adam and Eve, death entered the world and all man died. And he, you know, coronavirus is the big thing right now, so we're just gonna jump on it. But you know, I looked up the, the um, you know what I mean by the mortality rate? Mortality rate means how many people die from a certain thing. The mortality rate of the coronavirus is 3.5%, which means, you know, you know 3.5 people out of every 100 people die from the coronavirus. So that's, you know, apparently enough to alarm all the media and all the government and everything. What's the mortality rate of sin? That's not like a rhetorical question. That's like a real question. What's the mortality rate for sin? 
100%, right? All have sinned, payment for sin is death, right? So there's this two huge profound consequences that are terrible. It only took us, you know, I, I know I've done this before. It only took us, this is the Bible, and it, it only took us this much to screw it up. Like, this is the story of how we screwed it up. This is the story of how God fixed what we screwed up. It's really incredible. And in Genesis 3, 15, we have God revealing his plan to fix these profound consequences, this 100% mortality rate of sin, God's plan. And it's better than the government's plan to fix the coronavirus. I'm positive of it. Uh, this is God's plan. And it's, it's one that's kind of veiled in, 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 in some maybe wording that's hard for us to understand, but we're going to read it. So it's John 3.16, but the, tonight's title is 15 before 16 because we're going to look at Genesis 3.15, John 3.15, and 2 Peter 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise um, to the serpent, Satan, who caused Adam and Eve, tempted Adam and Eve to fall into sin. He said, I'll put enmity, meaning I'll make enemies between you and the woman. So we are now in an age-old struggle against Satan. Between your offspring or other versions, your seed, and I couldn't use the word seed for middle school because I got into sex and we had visitors and I couldn't do that. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God made the promise that the seed of a woman, you know, someone who was born of a woman, which last I checked, you know, that's all of us, but you know, so a human, um, one day would do a thing that would reverse all of the consequences that were initiated by Satan and by us falling victim to Satan's, or you know, going along with Satan's temptation. So there's this plan. The plan starts here, and it, this is how long the plan goes. So when I say God's patience is displayed in his plan, this plan happened over 6,000 years of human history. From the best that we can kind of like piece together the, um, what they're called like genealogies, the stories of how long people lived from, at, from Adam on, we can venture to say that the fall of humankind happened around 4,200 B.C., so you know, over 6,200 know, 6, years ago, uh, something like 6,220 years ago. The next thing we read in Genesis is that it didn't take people long to get exceedingly wicked. We learn in Noah's day in Genesis 6 that, that every inclination of the human heart was sinful and wicked and against God. And God very easily could have said, you know what, I had a plan, but you guys are just so screwed up, I'm done with you. But God didn't give up on us, right? He preserved his plan through Noah and his family. Then in the year 1446 B.C., we read about it in Exodus 2, God's people that he had carved out, we'll talk more about that next week, were put under like bondage, under slavery, under harsh treatment. And it says in Exodus 2 that they cried out for a deliverer because they were in agony. If I were God, I may have just taken those people on home and told the rest of the world, too bad. But he didn't because he's patient. He promised that one day the seed of a woman, if you, it's really interesting, if you read the, the whole Old Testament, that word seed appears throughout the whole Old Testament. It's like this, this search for who's the person, who's the person, who's the person. And then in the year 6 BC, the person was born. The, the plan became a person. God's patience was displayed through a person, through Jesus. So turn to John 3, 15. Remember how we, God promised the seed of a woman? 
would redeem us all. It says in verse 14 of John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man. Jesus was the Son of God, right? God and Abad. But he was also, look, he's called the Son of Man. He's that promise. In John 3, 15, we see the promise of Genesis 3, 15. The Son of Man, as Moses lifted up his serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So think about this. Mortality rate of the coronavirus, 3.5%. Mortality rate of sin, 100%. Mortality rate of those who believe in Jesus, There we go. We have a, a, a budding doctor <laughs> in the room tonight. Zero, right? So, so Jesus changed it. And obviously, you know, we know that it was through his taking of our sin on the cross and dying on our behalf. But, and Jesus displayed incredible patience. Imagine feeling the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, being mocked, laughed at, beaten, whipped, giving you, yeah, painfully pulling himself up for air. He displayed incredible patience when he died for us, but he also just displayed incredible patience when he lived. He had, he was being, before there was such a thing as social media, Jesus had trolls. He had people trolling him, the Pharisees. He displayed incredible patience with them. You know, you guys are in a tag group. Jesus had a tag group. There were 12 people in his tag group and they were high maintenance. One of them turned his back on him and turned him over to be killed. Judas. One of them denied him three times. Peter. All of them were so dense and so hard to manage. They were all, Jesus was always having to track them down because they were always going back to fishing. In over three years, Jesus endured those really hard to, you know, y'all know anybody who's hard to live with? You know, Jesus endured those hard to live with people and he displayed his patience. He showed how patient of a God he is. So Jesus left, right? He went back up to heaven after paying the price for our sin, turning our mortality rate to zero. And he made a promise when he went back to heaven. As he was leaving, what was his promise? It was that he would what? That he'd come back, right? And he'd establish his justice on the earth. And when he left, people began believing in Jesus. The church began forming and not everybody liked it. And there was a Roman emperor who, who, ascended to the, uh, I guess you could say throne, the, the rule of, of Rome in 64 AD. And he started doing things to Christians because he did not like Christians. Um, the Roman emperor Nero in 64 AD hated Christians so much that when he would have dinner parties in his garden, he would use Christians as human torches to light his dinner feasts. He hated Christians so much that in, the, um, that in the arenas in Rome and in other places, he would have Christians fight gladiators and he would have Christians fight lions to the death in order just to abuse those Christians. And those Christians cried out, we read about it in the Bible, they cried out to God saying, God, will you not come for us? God, will you not come back for us now? You promised to come, you promised to come, where are you? Some of them even began to be what's called scoffers, meaning they said, maybe he's not ever coming. And 2 Peter was written specifically to address those people who were saying, where's God? Why is he not coming? Why is he taking so long to come back? So look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to work our way to verse 15. But in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, it says the same word, the heavens and earth now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is, and here's our word, patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish 
but each should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heaven and earth will be destroyed, and he'll create his new heaven and new earth. So he says, you know, people were asking the question, is God, is his patience diminishing his justice? The fact that God didn't come back when all those Christians were being killed, does that mean God's not a just God because he's waiting so long? And we could continue to ask that question throughout the course of human history. I had a couple examples. Um, you know, we're concerned about the coronavirus, the bubonic plague wiped out a whole sixth of the earth. And I've got the mask of, this is an actual mask of doctors in the 1300s that visited patients that were dying of the bubonic plague. The reason that, it's a creepy looking mask, and the reason that nose thing is so long is because there were so many, the, the stench of death was so prevalent in, in Europe that the doctors had that long thing in their nose so they had a fresh air in their nose so they wouldn't pass out from the smell of dead bodies. And many of them, it, it happened disproportionately in Christian areas. So can you imagine them saying, why, God, are you not coming back? Are you not a just God? I think about in the 1600s when the slave trade began. And people saying, why would a just God not come back now and establish his justice? I think about in 1938 when Hitler rose to power and he killed six million Jewish people during the Holocaust. And they cried out, why didn't God come back? Does his patience diminish his justice? I would say no. I would say his patience doesn't diminish his justice, but it magnifies his mercy. Because here's the next picture I want to show you. From 1990, that's a picture of baby, or not baby Matt, but it's little Matt. Um, you, I don't know, you have moms that are camera Nazis. I mean, I shouldn't say that since my, since my picture's right next to Hitler's. But, you know, and you all have the moms that are like, anytime anything happens, you have to take a picture of it. Like my Grammy took a picture of my first bowel movement in the toilet. Like, you know, like, like literally happened. So, um, my mom took a picture of me the day I was saved. So does God's justice, or does God's patience diminish his justice? I think it magnifies his mercy because here's what I'm glad. If God came back before 1990, I wouldn't be able to be saved. And I don't know if there's been a day that you've met. You don't have to worry about it, Carson. You can just let her drop. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. But I want you to think about, was there a day that you were saved, a day that you went from 100% mortality rate to 0% mortality rate? If you are, we should be thankful to God because he is so patient that even though there were terrible things happening in the world, he knew that one day, you know, Levi and Drew and Tyler and Ethan would be alive and he wanted them to have the opportunity to come to repentance. So God's patience is displayed in his promise. And now we're in 2020. And the hot news is the coronavirus. And we may, not that we think it's gonna be a big deal, but we may think, what, what's stopping God from coming tonight? Here's the only thing that's stopping God from coming. If you're, if you're a prophecy nerd, what you know is that there's nothing left that has to happen in prophecy for Jesus to come back. He could come back tonight. So the only reason he did not come back tonight is that he is still extending his patience to the world, which means there is still opportunity. One thing you can't do in heaven is get your friends and your family saved. 6,200 years later, God is still saving people. So what should we do? The middle school's getting restless, so I'm gonna go through these three R words real fast. The first thing that we should do is we should receive God's patience. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you haven't gone from a 100% mortality rate to a 0% mortality rate, one day God will come back and it's gonna be game over. So do you have a moment where you, went, you passed, as the Bible says, from death to life, if you've never made that decision, talk to a tag leader, talk to me afterwards. Receive God's patience. The next is rejoice God's, in God's patience. 
Some of us end up, you know, we get caught up in what's going on in life and we walk around with a look on our face like somebody peed in our Cheerios. You know what I mean? Like, like, like we, we feel so depressed and so down. Well, I can't, the timeline's not back up here now, but think about that timeline. Think about for the past 6,000 years that your name was on God's mind and one of the reasons that he does not come back yet was because he wanted you to be saved and he's that patient toward you for your salvation and he's that patient toward you for every time you mess up in those seasons in your life where you're so salty, even your parents could barely bear to be with you. God is patient. And the final thing and the hardest one is that we should reflect God's patience to others. That's the tough one. If God has been patient towards us and love is patient, if we wanna be Christ-like, we need to be patient with other people. Specifically, I believe God is gonna put on our hearts, each of us, one person that we know that's not saved, that God is waiting to come to repentance. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and I'm going to leave this slot. This is the last slide, and I'm going to leave that up, this up as we dismiss and as we pray. But it's a QR code, and if you were to, if you scan this QR code, it's going to take you on your Bible app to a Bible reading plan that leads you every day to pray for one person you know that needs to be saved. So I want you to scan the app, you sign up for the plan on the Bible app, and start thinking about who for the next 30 days am I going to commit to praying for that doesn't know Jesus as their savior, that needs to know Jesus as their savior. It could be somebody you go to class with. It could be somebody in your family. It could be somebody that lives across the country. But who's the one name that you need to pray for? Scan that QR code and your Bible app will remind you every day to pray for that person. So I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna let middle school in and then we're gonna pray and get out of here. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together and thank you for being an incredibly patient God. Um, I... I hate to even think about how much and how often I've tested your patience through my life. Um, God, thank you for being patient with me. Um, Thank you that you waited until 1990 when I, as a little kid, understood that I needed a savior. Um, God, I pray that every person here tonight will know that there's nothing stopping them from passing from death to life except their decision to believe in you. God, I pray that we'll be thankful for what you did for us. Um, It's easy to look at things, for me to look at things and be so dissatisfied with my life. And then I remember that the fact that I'm alive at all is your mercy. So I pray that you'll give us thanks. And God, I pray that you'll give us a heart for people who need to know that there's a patient God who's waiting for them to come to repentance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store.